You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. We've been uh, going through the book of Colossians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and next week we'll finish the book. It's been a little while since we've uh, been uh, in Colossians together, uh, but we will finish it next week, and then we're going to start a uh, short series in the book of Ruth um, on Sundays, and then we will jump into the book of Luke uh, after that, uh, starting probably in uh, the middle of September or so. Uh, We'll go through Luke and get into a gospel and, and look at the life of Christ, so we're excited about that. But this morning, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 18 through the first verse of chapter 4. And if you've been with us in Colossians, you, you know that this book is, is really about the preeminence of Christ. It, it's all about the, uh, the fact that Jesus wants to be the focus, the center, the, the very um, passion of our life. And there are things that, that really allow us to know that that is true. And we've been talking about that in chapter 3, the first 17 verses. Uh, Paul has been exhorting us to the practical outworking of Jesus' preeminence in our life. That when Jesus is the focus of our life, when, when he's preeminent, when he's the center of our life, it's going to be evident. It's going to be clear. It's not going to be ambiguous or fuzzy or I'm not really sure if that guy's sold out to the Lord or if that, that woman is, is absolutely passionate about Jesus, it will be clear. And, and we've seen several things of the practical outworking of Jesus' preeminence in our life. And now Paul turns his attention from some general exhortations about the Christian life to specific encouragement given to individuals. We, we really move from the glory of, of heaven and the fullness of Jesus in the universe to the glory of relationships and the fullness of Christ in the kitchen and in the bedroom. Maybe you get excited about that. Since Jesus is, is preeminent, you guys, over all things, over the, the universe, over creation, over life in general, and, and that his fullness is, is all-encompassing, then he must be the source of fullness in, in our homes and in our workplaces. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And as we read our text, we're going to notice three sets of, of exhortations giving to six individuals. We're going to see... That Paul encourages wives and husbands in their marriages. We see that we're encouraged as parents. That children and and parents are are encouraged. And then also the relationship of employees and employers. That we're exhorted in in that area. So let's read our text and then we'll, we'll talk about these things. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter or harsh. 
toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, slaves, or in our context, employees, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so the first relationship that Paul turns his attention toward is the marriage relationship. Wives and husbands. And the first thing that he says is, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Paul really gives us two roles in marriage. It's not complicated. It isn't supposed to be really difficult to figure out a successful marriage, to have fullness in marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now, this concept and and these principles that Paul lays out here for marriage were absolutely revolutionary in that time. In that time, women were considered to be property. They were no different than a home or some type of transportation, an animal. They, They were property. They could be discarded with no retribution to the husband. The wives had no freedom. They, they had no rights. They had no privileges. In fact, Christianity has been the only culture that has freed women up to any extent at all. Every culture that has ever been on the earth has always denigrated women and put them under the thumb of men. It was Jesus that liberated women. Which is so interesting that today we, we hear in, in the news, we hear in the media that, that Christianity is repressive. And it's the fact that the United States and that other Western nations are, are so um, liberating to women is because of Christianity. It's because of the Christian influence. But there are roles in marriage. And even though there, there is freedom for women in, in the culture of Christianity, even though there, there is freedom, there are roles that, that uh, are set up here. There is an authority structure just like in any other place in life. Someone has to be the leader. Someone has to be the one who is accountable to God. The one who makes final decisions. It's been said that anything without a head is dead. And anything with two heads is a monster. And so the same is true in marriage. 
Anything without a head is dead. It's a dead marriage. If there's no leader, and, and we've all seen that, maybe you grew up in that environment, where there was no clear-cut leader in the home. It, the dog led sometimes, you know, the kids led the others, uh, and dad was AOL. It, that, that's, that's an internet. What did I... AWOL. I, that, you knew what I meant. <laughs> dad... Dad was on the internet. <laughs> dad, was, dad wasn't around. Mom kind of tried to lead, but maybe the kids didn't respect her. I mean, you know how it goes. There was no head, or maybe there was two heads, and they were fighting, and that's just a, a monstrous situation. Here we find the roles. First of all, wives submit to your husbands. The, the word submit here, uh, it means to place under, to be under authority. We can try to, you know, sugarcoat it and, and make it into something that, that it isn't by, by saying, you know, something that's very politically correct today. But this is what the Bible says. Wives, place yourself under the authority of your husband because he is your head. He is your leader, your ruler now, I think it's important that we understand what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that a wife is a, is a doormat, that she has no opinion, that, that she isn't allowed to express her, her voice. But typically, in, in our society, wives don't have a problem with that. We, we probably you know, don't need to spend a lot of time on that. We, we understand those freedoms and and, and the privileges that should be there. And husbands should listen to their wives and hear their wives' opinions and take them into consideration and pray about them. But what this does mean is that once you've stated your opinion, ladies, once you've said what you need to say, then you let it go. Submission isn't nagging. It isn't manipulation. It isn't forcing your opinion to the point where the husband is so exasperated that he just gives in to what you wanted to do. It isn't manipulating the situation so that the husband is almost forced into doing what you want to do. It's understanding that, yes, you are equal, but that you have chosen. This is a choice. But you have chosen by virtue of the fact that you are a Christian, number one. That's the first thing. That you are a Christian woman of God. And so you understand that you are called to submit to your husband. You understand that. You choose to do that. And secondly, you've understood the model. That marriage is is a picture of our relationship with Jesus. And so, 
Wives, you represent the bride of Christ. You represent the church. And if the church begins to run the show and Jesus is no longer the head, we've got problems. And when you begin to run the show in your house, when you begin to be the head and to take that place of authority in the home, then you've got problems. And the model that goes back to creation, the way God has instituted marriage from the very beginning, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, the model is broken. And you are misrepresenting God. And I think, ladies, that you can take encouragement in your role in marriage. This role of being submissive to your husbands. You can take encouragement in that your husband is accountable to God. He will answer for the decisions that are made. You can take encouragement in that God is not asking you to do something that He wasn't willing to do Himself. You see, because ladies... Your role in marriage is much like the role of Christ here on earth. Jesus is equal to the Father in every way. We learned about that in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He's the image, the exact representation of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's equal to God in, in every way. He is God. Colossians 2.9, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is God. And yet, here on earth, He chose to submit Himself to the will of the Father. You remember in the garden? He gave the Father His opinion. Hey Lord, if there's any other way for this to go down, let's do that. But nevertheless... Not my will, but your will be done. Ladies, that is an absolute, perfect example of what God has called you to do. State your opinion. But not my will, your will be done. Whatever you think. And you might, in your mind, believe it's the worst decision, the worst idea Ever. And you, you probably are right. But you let it go and you let Him learn. You let God do a work in Him. He is the leader. And ladies, if you're a strong leader and your husband isn't, then you need to let Him lead. And, and guys, you need, to, you need to man up and start to be a leader. Start to understand what it means to be a leader. That's what God's called you to do. And He's never called us to do anything that He hasn't given us the resources and the ability to do. So don't say, well, I'm just not wired that way. That's just not me. I'm not a leader. Well, you better figure it out. And if, if you want to keep your marriage, if you want your children to respect you, you better figure it out. Now notice... Wives, submit to your own husbands. This isn't carte blanche that women are just supposed to be submissive to every man. 
This is to your husbands. This is in the home. Paul is, is laying this out as a principle for the home. It has nothing to do with the workplace, with politics, with the business world. It has to do with the home. And, and we also see that uh, this authority structure applies in the church as well. But trying to apply this in other areas of life, I think that is where we have as a church, as, as Christians, that's where we've come across as chauvinists. This is a principle that is, is set up for the home and is set up in the church. And, and so, ladies, you may be a leader in your workplace. You may, you may manage a company or you may have employees under you, people that answer to you. But at home, even if your husband is a blue-collar worker who has nobody under him, and you're much smarter than he is and much more talented than he is, the model is that you are to submit to him. And that may be difficult for you, but that's biblical, and it's what God's called you to do. And it's the model of marriage. And it's what God has instituted. And so anything else is an affront to God. It's opposed to God. And it won't work. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's what fits. It's what works. And if you try to do it differently, you're telling God, God, I'm smarter than you. I can do it my own way. We can have a successful marriage that doesn't look like the way you said it should. And you can say that. But you're in opposition to God. Well, he doesn't just leave it with wives. He says, husbands, love your wives. And do not be bitter toward them. And so the calling of a husband is so much higher than the calling of a wife. And what I mean by that is it's filled with so much more responsibility. It may seem like to you ladies that this is a high call to submit to your husbands. And it is. But you represent the church in the marriage relationship. The church that received guys, husbands. We represent Jesus. Who initiated, who gave his life. And so we have a, a, a much higher calling, a, a much greater responsibility to love our wives. And it doesn't say it here, but, but in Ephesians, Paul says, as Christ loved the church. That's the love. He didn't use the word phileo here, husbands. Love your wives with a friendship kind of love. That's phileo love. Husbands, eros your wives. That, that's what we would like it to say, guys. We would like it to mean a sexual love. Eros. Certainly part of marriage, but that's not the word he chose to use here. Eros is the word from which we get our English word Erotic, it's a passionate love, it's a sexual love. He doesn't use that word. He uses a very specific word 
that is a uniquely Christian word. And you guys, when I say Christian, I'm referring us to the gospel. The gospel message. That God became a man and died in our place. Took our sin upon himself. That's Christian love. Husbands, love your wives with the same kind of love that Jesus has given to you. Puts it into a whole new category. A husband's love is first of all incarnational. It's incarnational in the same way that Jesus became a man. That God took on human flesh. So the marriage relationship is the becoming of one flesh. All the way back to the garden. Genesis 2, 24. A man shall leave his father and mother. Which is always funny to me because Adam didn't even have a mother or father. But it was set up that way from the very beginning. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so, husbands, you need to, to see your wives as you see yourself. You need to love them as you love yourself, and you need to think about them as you think about yourself. Pray for them as you would yourself. You see, it's, it, it's a oneness. It's not two people living separate lives. It's, it's one life. It's a union. And so a husband's love is, first of all, incarnational. You, you feel your wife's pain. You feel her situation at home. You grieve when she grieves. You, you, you're excited when she's excited. You're passionate about what she's passionate about. You make efforts to understand her. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, to dwell with your wife in understanding. Understand her emotions, her, her mental makeup, because she's one with you. And so, understand her. That's, that's what it means to be a husband. It doesn't mean you just rule over the, the house and, and you tell her what to do and, and your word is, is the standard by which everybody goes by, and yet you're you're detached from her, you don't relate to her, you don't know her, you don't care about her. Guys, if your wife is not submitting to you, then you need to take a long and hard look at how you're loving her. Because see, you have the responsibility to be the initiator. To be the one that would initiate the relationship, the love. See, God first loved us. 
And, I, and I'll tell you this, you guys. Unless you made a horrible choice about who you married. Unless you, you absolutely married somebody who you should not have. If you love your wife and you dwell with her in understanding and you know her and you're compassionate toward her and you pray for her, you're not going to have any problem with her submitting to you. She's going to be like soft butter in your hands. And so it's really up to you. It it really is up to us, you guys. If you've got a rebellious, manipulative, nagging, just monster of a wife, it's more than likely that you created it. You created her. And so you take a good, long look at her, and you realize that she's a creation of your stupidity. You realize that. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be bitter toward them. See, that comes from understanding them. Do you know where harshness comes from? It comes from a lack of understanding. It it comes when we don't recognize what our wives do on a daily basis. When When we're removed from the situation. That's where we become harsh. See, Peter tells us, and this is another thing that is not politically correct, and, and maybe, ladies, it'll, it'll get your women's lib you know, hair standing on end, but, but Peter tells us that the wife is the weaker vessel. And you don't have to be married that long to recognize that. doesn't mean she's inferior. It means that emotionally and physically... She's weaker than you. God has created strength in you. Not to look down upon her. Not to judge her. Not to to say, why aren't you like me? Hey, look. If you wanted to marry a guy, you know, move to California. (laughs) If... If you wanted a guy, then you should have stayed in college. But you remember what that was like. Remember living with a bunch of guys? It's not so great. I remember what it's like living with a bunch of guys. It isn't so great. If you want your wife to be a man, grow up. Your wife isn't a man. She isn't you. She isn't made the way you're made. You're incompatible by design. That's how God created it. With different strengths and different weaknesses. And so husbands, understand your wives. Understand what frustrates them and what hurts them. 
and, and be compassionate toward that. Recognize if, if they've had a difficult day that, that maybe your tone and your body language and certain things that you want to talk about may not be appropriate. Now, man, I'm speaking to myself more than I'm speaking to any of you. And all of these things. And I wish that I could apply these things as maybe as well as, as I'm articulating them. Because I certainly don't. My wife was, was bummed that she wasn't going to be in here this morning because <laughs> she, keeps, she can keep me accountable, you know. She said, you don't do that. Come on. But seriously... A husband's love is, first of all, incarnational. Secondly, it's sacrificial, this agape love. It is a giving love. Jesus died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners. So in other words, guys, you don't wait for your wife to get her act together. You don't wait for her to become that wife that you always wanted. Or that you've seen on TV, or that you used to see on TV. You don't wait for that. You don't wait for her. You initiate. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He sacrificed himself. Guys, that's the kind of calling that you've been given. That's your role. And that's why when I hear ladies and Christians say, man, this is repressive. Wives, submit to your husbands. Look, you're either not being taught right or you're not reading the Bible right. Because the calling of a man is so much more difficult. Husbands, love your wives the way Jesus loved the church. You guys... We love to conquer things. We love to hunt things down and, and, and succeed and be victorious. That's how God made us. Well, look, He's given you a challenge that you'll never, ever defeat. You, you'll spend your entire life. I mean, this is, a, this is a challenge here for you guys and for me this morning. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Guys, there's a lot of things that, that we get excited about and, and that, that are a challenge to us. But this ought to be our number one pursuit. To love our wives the way Jesus loved the church. A third characteristic of a husband's love is that it's unconditional. Romans 5.8 again. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstrated His love for us. It was unconditional. As we look at the love of Jesus, you guys, one of the the most amazing characteristics is the fact that we can't do anything to earn it. 
and we can't do anything to lose it. You can do nothing to make God love you more than He already does. I hope you know that. I hope that's rooted into your theology. You can do nothing to make God love you more than He already does. And so quit reading your Bible thinking that God's going to love you more because you got up and read your Bible. He doesn't love you anymore. It's a relationship. Quit going to church, giving money, serving, witnessing, not sinning, because you think it's going to make God love you more. Listen, He can't possibly love you anymore. Then he already does. What we do for him is a response, you guys. His love is unconditional. And men, the love that you have for your wives has to be unconditional. That's the model. Guys, if you only love your wives when she deserves it, then you're not going to be loving her the way Jesus loved the church. You're going to love her when, when she does what you want and when she is pleasant and when everything is going well. But on difficult days or as she maybe isn't up to your standards as far as physically, as she maybe gets older or puts on weight or whatever all of a sudden you don't love her anymore, that isn't, that isn't love. That's, it's selfishness. And so a husband's love is unconditional. In other words, it has nothing to do with her attitude, with her behavior, with her tone of voice, with how she looks with what she does for you has nothing to do with that. And until we buy into that and we apply that, you guys, we won't have the kind of marriage that God wants us to have. As long as we're looking for our wives to meet all of our needs before we become the men that we're supposed to be, it'll never happen. You are called to initiate. And I'm telling you guys, when you do, you'll create an amazing woman. But it's up to you. Do you want to do it? And this whole submission thing is going to be absolutely irrelevant. It won't even be an issue. You won't have to say, you're supposed to submit to me. I'm the leader. You won't have to remind her of that. Guys, if you're reminding your wives of that, you're doing something wrong. It's the bottom line. Because she's going to want to submit to you. It's going to be like, why would I do anything else? I trust him. He has my best interests in mind. He loves me. He cares for me. Verse 20. Children, 
Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And so he now turns his attention toward children and parents. And a child's role is, is pretty clear. To obey. Now, in, in all of these things, wives submitting to, the, to their husbands, children obeying their parents, even as we talk about employees obeying in all things, this is assumed that they're not asking you to do something that is opposed to God. And, and the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5 that we're to obey God rather than men. And so, if a parent is asking a child to do something that is opposed to him and unbiblical or sinful, then this wouldn't apply. Children, obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. In parents, this is your expectation, that your children obey you. And we don't have a lot of time to, to get into parenting and, and all of that this morning. But this is what is expected. And so if you have children that do not obey you, that are rebellious, that are running the house, then you're doing something wrong. The, the, the house is out of order. And, you know, you go to the grocery store and, and you watch parents and children. And, and it's scary, really, because you, you realize that, that this is... This is, you know, who's going to be leading our country. These are people that are going to be adults soon, driving automobiles. And, you know, no respect. No understanding of authority. And it really is a, it's a parent problem, you guys. It's not a child problem. Children are the same today as they were a hundred, a thousand years ago. It's just that we bought into worldly philosophy about things and about how to parent. And you don't need to discipline and, you know, give your children freedom. And, and studies have found that the most balanced children, the most well-adjusted children are children that have structure and authority, and consistent discipline. And, and the children that have uh, just a real low image of themselves, children that uh, rebel against authority, children that have no respect, children that don't understand uh, how to associate with, with others and are selfish, they come from homes where there's no boundaries. There's no authority structure. There's no discipline. Parents, if you love your children, you will discipline them. And you, it'll start young. And, and unfortunately, if your children are teenagers and you haven't done that yet, it, it's going to be tough. It's got to start when they're young. It has to start when you see that first rebellion, when you see that, that first time that, that they are bucking against your authority. You have to deal with it. 
You, and, and you have to, to do it consistently. And, and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, notice he doesn't say parents, he says fathers. And I think this is because men have the greater proclivity toward provoking their children and embittering their children because they're not home as much. Maybe the child doesn't relate to you as well. And so if you come down on them with an iron fist all of the time, then there is, there's a, re- a rebelling against that. I think that's why he says that. But I don't think it's harmful at all to insert the word parents here. And ladies, if you uh, have a tendency to provoke your children, believe me, this applies to you as well. And here's some ways that, that a parent, a father specifically, can provoke children to discouragement. Here, here's a few things very quickly. Constant criticism. Parents, if you are constantly criticizing your children and pointing out what they do wrong and not then affirming their strengths and what they do right, you will dishearten or discourage your children. Irritability and grouchiness. If, if you're always irritated and, and your tone of voice is harsh and cutting and you're yelling and you're just always on the verge of explosion, you will provoke your children to discouragement. Over strict rules. No freedom. This is very common in the church, especially amongst uh, parents that maybe just grew up wild and crazy and just doing everything under the sun, living opposed to God, and then they have kids, and okay, I'm going to make sure they never do that. And so we're going to set up all of these rules and guidelines and restrictions, and it creates rebellion. Parents, choose your battles. Want to say yes to more than you say no to. Get freaked out about the right stuff. You know what I mean? Hannah Montana isn't going to lead your kids into Satanism. you got bigger fish to fry. So, you, you, know, you know what I mean? Maybe don't worry about the, the music as much as you do other things. Now, there, there's a balance, certainly. And we have to be, you know, watching out for what our children watch and, and, and what they're a part of. But, I mean, my goodness, I, I've, I've seen uh, parents that won't let their kids watch a Disney movie or the Smurfs. Because there's Satanism in it. It's like, come on, you know, lighten up a little bit. Inconsistency. Saying one thing one day and then the next day it's okay. So, you know, they just blow up about this today and then the next day it's totally cool. Or you don't let them do it one day, but then the next day you let them do it. You've got to be consistent. Children are smart. They're going to recognize the inconsistency. And they're going to lose respect for you. And it's going to discourage them. And finally... Keeping your children at a distance, and, and this is certainly one that, that fathers are, are more likely uh, to be guilty of. It, surveys reveal that fathers spend less than one minute per day with their kids. So what kind of a relationship can you expect to have with your kids? W- what kind of authority structure do you expect to set up in the, in the home? They're not going to listen to you. They don't know you. You're like a stranger. And so when you come down on them, they don't know that you love them. When, when you want to point them to Jesus, they don't understand the love of Jesus because you're not showing it to them. You can't keep your children at a distance and then expect them to be healthy and well-adjusted and obedient. It takes time to be a parent. 
And that's why I think if you don't have kids, man, make sure that you're going to be a good parent. Don't just have kids flippantly. Make sure that you're going to be a parent that spends time with your kids. And if you do have kids, you've got to carve out time. You've got to make time to spend with your children, to, to know them, to understand them, to, to see their strengths, their weaknesses, their personality, to affirm them, to point them to Christ, to spend time in the Word with them, to pray with them. It's, it's huge. Okay. Finally, 22 to 4 verse 1. I know we're, we're running late here. Employees, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And this, again, is a whole cultural thing here because there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Half the population were slaves. Uh, people that weren't slaves, they did not work. It was based, they didn't do anything. Slaves were doctors and lawyers. They, they did everything. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and who uh, was a... Uh, writer of the book of Acts, he was a doctor, but he was also a slave. And so you've got to understand this, this cultural thing here. And Paul says, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And they would say, yeah, that's what we do. And, and maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's what I do with my boss. I obey as long as he's looking. Or when, when I know that he's going to be keeping me accountable or looking at this particular job. But when he's not looking, I do my own thing. And see, Paul ramps it up here. He says, obey not with eye service, not just when they're looking, but all the time. As, not as a man pleaser. Not just doing it to get by, to please them, to get them off your back, but in sincerity of heart because you're serving God, as he says. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And so whatever you're doing, your job, wives, in submitting to your husbands, husbands, in loving your wives. You're doing it for the Lord because He's watching, because you're accountable to Him ultimately. As He says in verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord, not men. You guys, when you get up and go to work in the morning, you've got to have the perspective that you're serving Jesus Christ and not a person. And that will radically change how you go about doing your job. You're serving Jesus. And so if you think you deserve a raise, then take it up with the Lord. Lord, I'm going to continue to to work hard. I think I deserve more money, but I, I work for you, Lord. So you take care of this situation. And he will reward you. Maybe not here, but certainly in heaven as you serve him and not men. And he who does wrong, he who doesn't do this, he who just... Works hard when the boss is watching, but as soon as he takes off, then you kick back and do what you want to do, or you, you don't do the, the quality of work, you just do enough to get by. Who are you serving? You're serving a person in that sense. But you've got to remember that that product that you're producing, that client that you're serving, is ultimately the Lord and for the Lord. And if you're not doing this, then you will be repaid. And there's no partiality with the Lord. But then he he gives some instruction to employers or masters as well. And this was revolutionary in this time. Because slaves, again, were merchandise. They were products to be owned. Just like a wife, if you had a slave and and they weren't producing anymore, they were getting old or they they were disabled, they got hurt, or they, they... 
just weren't cutting the mustard anymore, then you just get rid of them. They would send them off to die. Let them starve to death. They didn't care. If they, they weren't producing, then you get rid of them. But what does Paul say? Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so employers, treat your employees the way that God treats you. That's the bottom line. With love, with compassion, with understanding, in fairness, not just looking out for your own interests. Does Jesus just look out for his own interests? Or did he come and give himself for us? And so, guys, employers, you can't just look out for your own interests. You can't just see it as, how does this affect me? You've got to be fair and honest and just because you're serving the Lord. And so, three relationships that, that Paul exhorts us in. Three things, you guys, that are so practical. They affect every one of us. There's not a person here this morning that isn't affected by the words that we just read and studied. And I hope, you guys, as we understand the gospel, as we understand what Jesus has done for us, and that he wants to be preeminent in our life, that he deserves to be preeminent, that he deserves to be the focus of our life, that it will change our marriages radically, you guys. If you want to impact this community for Jesus, and I do, guess what? One of the greatest ways that you can do that in your marriage, having a Christian marriage, will be an amazing testimony as people see what you have, and they want that for themselves. In your relationship with your kids, parents, that Jesus would be preeminent there, that he would be the center and the focus of that. And in your workplace, that all of these relationships would be revolutionized by Jesus Christ. I, I hope that's true. I hope it works out in our lives very practically. Let's start today. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.